Hello and welcome to 100 Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Sandra Lewin and I am your host. I'm on a mission to make insurance a career choice, not a chance. Together with my amazing guests, we are sharing our career stories, tips and insights into work life and insurance in hope to inspire diverse talent to join and remain within the industry. The insurance profession is changing, so it couldn't be a better time to showcase the fantastic women across the insurance market. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to 100 Women in Insurance. I am so glad to have you here. We met uh, back at Lloyd's on a interesting, complex, and other words come to mind, Brexit program. So it's lovely to have you here. Hi, Sandra. Thank you very much. Really nice to be here. <laughs> so for those who don't know Svenja, Svenja's full name is Pink Pang Gooder, and you are a senior manager at EY. Um, and we are here to talk today about um, various topics of what it's like to be a consultant in a big four, which I'm really excited because we actually did prepare for this podcast by having a bit of a chat about the various topics we can talk about because you have a wide range of topics we could have covered, but this felt like a, a good one to give us as much of sort of uh, career ad- idea, advice and tips, but we'll touch as well on many other topics, not just the life as a consultant, <laughs> as a sort of TikTok title would have said. So, Sonia, I always start this podcast with a question, whether insurance was a career choice or a chance for you. Tell us a bit more about it. A few other guests. It was also chance for me. Um, my background is actually in politics and international relations, and I did a master's at LSE on international development. Um, but I really wanted to stay in London, and I needed a job that allowed me to live in London and have a salary um, and not volunteer, unfortunately. And I went to the career service, and I said, I don't know what to do. Do you have any advice for me? And um, the woman said, oh, hang on. One of the um, students that has just reported back to me on her career, she actually did a grad scheme in insurance. And this clearly wasn't really based on my interests or background or anything, but clearly, um, yeah, a, a positive experience that one of the students um, had in insurance. And I thought, well, you know what, I might as well have a look. And so I looked at the different grad schemes um, in, you know, in insurance, the different um, Lloyd syndicates. Obviously, at the time, I didn't actually know what Lloyd's was. So you might hear, I'm not actually from the UK, I'm from Germany. I was completely oblivious of anything to do with um, the London market, Lloyd's insurance, and clearly had no idea what I was getting myself into. However, I saw a strapline um, for an underwriting grad scheme that said, it's, you know, the, the balance between art and science. And I thought that sounds great. You know, I really am interested in science. I quite like maths, um, economics, politics, but also that relationship building aspect, trust people. I think I could do this. Um, and I say that without really knowing anything else. Um, and yeah, I got accepted onto the grad scheme and off I went. And that's um, where I started about 10 years ago. Brilliant. So many important parts actually just in that one representation and kind of hearing someone else's story and saying, well, someone enjoyed it. So might as well give it a go. Strapline, like actually explaining it, not technically, but going into what you would understand as a grad 
brilliant. Like that, these are really good tips actually for anyone looking to attract <laughs> talent in, you know, the, the start, stop with the acronyms. Um, so you started in underwriting, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I started um, obviously on the grant scheme, depending on the firm, um, you have a kind of base, a home, which uh, was underwriting property, open market and delegated authorities. Um, and then I kind of rotated around the different departments um, in the insurance company as well. But yeah, fundamentally, my day to day was being an underwriter in Lloyd's at the box looking at property risks. Right. Fair enough. So you were on that path that a lot of people kind of get onto when they start. And it's like, you know, you're an underwriter and you stay an underwriter, mm-hmm. but you've decided to make a switch. <laughs> That's right. How, quite controversial, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. When did that happen? Um, so I changed over to consulting about five years into my um, underwriting career. And you're absolutely quite right. a bit. Yeah, I think underwriting is often sort of seen as the career path. Mm. Um, you know, it's the front office, the people who make money. It's what insurance is about. Obviously, in my opinion, it's it's mainly about actually paying claims, not just the underwriting. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it's sort of seen as the, oh, you know, you get to go um, golfing and, and horse racing um, and you get to, you know, obviously have some really interesting conversations with brokers about risks. But yeah, it's often seen as the career in insurance. Yeah. Um, and I also found it to be really, you know, interesting. It was great to kind of learn from the ground up what insurance is all about. And it generally is fascinating. And obviously, you know, you're hosting an insurance podcast, so you will agree with me. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of really fascinating, um, you know, history, tradition around Lloyd's, the way it works, you know, sharing risks to ultimately, you know, provide more cover to people for really Mm. complex risks. So I think that's a really great and exciting thing in itself. Um, But also 10 years ago when I joined, it wasn't a great culture. And I really suffered from that. You know, I joined as a, um, you know, foreign, young, bisexual female. um, And I was often, you know, the only woman in the room. Um, Mm. What I was wearing was commented on. you know, what I was saying, the drinking culture, the, yeah, there was a lot that um, really I found quite alienating mm-hmm. um, and where I didn't feel like I could really be my, my authentic self. Yeah. Um, and I came to a bit of a decision point where I thought, you know, I either just sort of swallow all of that. I crack on, I keep going and I'm sure it will get a bit better over time. One, because culture will change and two, maybe I'll just get used to it. And that really made me um, make me think twice because I thought, do I really want to get used to this? And I thought, no, I don't. So I took a bit of a step back and thought, you know, where can I take this skill set? And that was actually quite a, you know, that wasn't an easy to answer question because, as you say, people tend to stay in underwriting when they start there. So I didn't have a whole lot of role models around me um, where I could see some different paths to take. But I did find someone who'd um, basically gone from underwriting to consulting. And, you know, you talk a lot about networking and reaching out to people. Mm. It was one of those where I just reached out to someone on LinkedIn. I asked, how did that career transition happen for you? How did it work? And he was very kind. He met up with me um, and he talked me through it. And he said, look, I actually think you'd be quite good at consulting. Right. And I sort of had to put all of the misconceptions that I had about yeah. behind me. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give that a go. 
so, so I want to this. I want to come back to the misconceptions, definitely. Um, but just on that turning point, I know there is quite a few listeners here that we tend to get stuck on a, a career path that is very good and it's like well you should be grateful you're there don't make that change or the pressure of you know this is this is the role you shouldn't be going to a different role or Mm. or that's not as prestige as as what you're doing and I'm always really keen to kind of break those barriers because as you said when it comes to insurance everyone contributes right it's not just underwriting claims it's all the other and and this is not a saying being underwriter is a bad thing let's let's just put that on it's just not for everyone right um it's it's different skills i think the hard part is actually making that turning point what would you and, and stopping and kind of going hang on this is this is not me what else can i do in insurance triggered your turning point and and what kind of process you've gone through I mean so first of all um I think what really drove me to it was a realization that I'm not at my best when I'm not feeling like I'm in the right place um I thought you know I can try and be really good at this career path and you're absolutely right it is a really cool job to do um Mm. but I thought I think there's potential in me that's not really you know getting tapped into in this career Mm. and I'm not really feeling myself and by the way as a side note I think if I went back into that career now things would be different right so (laughs) uh, maybe we can talk about that as well but um yeah I think it was very much that realization I'm I'm very driven my career is really important to me I want to do well and if I really want that then right now I don't think this is the place to be. And so it was, you know, partly a pull, partly a push. And so that was kind of my my push. And then Mm. the pull was that I think I'd always been really curious about consulting. Um, I guess partly I didn't really know what do consultants do, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a mystery. Um, and I also had some, yeah, misconceptions. We touched on them in that I thought, Oh, it's very competitive. It's very, um, sales driven. It's very kind of elbows out. Um, and obviously I, I kind of took a bit of a leap of faith, but you know, I've, I've learned over time those things can be true, but they aren't necessarily, right? So often, like myself, uh, consultants have a background in the industry that they consult in. So I know hands-on what it is like to be an underwriter and some of the you know challenges that come with the job and that we now try to make a difference to as consultants. Also, it's actually really collaborative. You know, mm. what we um, as UI, but also other professional services firms offer is a really big network of professionals I can't be an expert in everything. I don't claim to mm. be. Um, but, you know, we have people across, you know, data technology, people advisory and operations, which is um, the area that I work in. And we all work together. And that's actually very, very much around teamwork, both um, within the firm, but also teamwork with our clients. And, you know, we work on a project basis and people um, kind of have to want to work with you. You know, when I lead a project and I'm trying to staff that, if nobody wants to work with me, I have a problem. So it actually creates some, you know, really inclusive and and collaborative work dynamics, um, which came as a huge positive surprise to me. And so I think this is, this is a lot of people have that misconception, right? And it's really good to unpack that. I've raised such a good point about that awareness. You said, 
you know, I wasn't at my best. And I think, you know, that's a big takeaway here is if you are in a job and you're thinking, this is not me, or this is, I'm just, I know I can do more, or I know I can show up differently, and I'm not showing up for whatever reason be- because of the role. Uh, you know, that is, that is a very good, like a light bulb moment going, mm, maybe there's something to consider here and then go out and, and network and find out what else is out there. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I really like that. But, but going back to your misconceptions, um, quite a few. And, um, how did you, you know, people often go into interview thinking it's an, like, and I used to do that, right? I'll turn up to an interview and I'll be so petrified because I wanted to prove myself. Was there a point when you were interviewing for UI that you were thinking there's these misconceptions that are in the back of my head, they have to kind of prove them to me that that's not true, <laughs> which is a very different interviewing style, right? You're coming in going, yeah, I need to show up that I'm doing, but actually I need to know that this is the right place for me because I'm making mm-hmm. a big switch here, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think as you go through your career, you probably realize yeah, those two things, you know, more and more. I think one, just coming back to your previous point, is around, you know, making a step change, changing career. You realize actually your career is built out of these many building blocks. You know, you will have many different jobs and it might not feel like it at the time, but they will probably add, you know, together in some really interesting ways that make your experience and your expertise really unique and really valuable. Um, you know, but you can't quite, you can plan it to an extent and you can have a goal, but also there's something around accepting you will have all these different roles and they will puzzle together in a way that will be actually, you know, super interesting and, and super valuable if you say yes to some of those opportunities. Um, and yeah, I think it's absolutely saying yes to a culture, um, and a company. And I think the more senior you get, uh, the more selective you get and the more, a company also has to, you know, prove its, its worth and value and fit to you. So absolutely. And um, I actually have a very, very vivid memory from uh, one of my interviews at EY. And I was interviewing with um, a woman, which actually at the time was quite a rare experience for me mm. because, you know, that sort of level of management was very, very male where it came from. And, you know, in a lot of the, the other firms that I spoke to, And I think there was a rugby match on that day. And one of the things I used to do in my old role was I would look at, um, you know, what kind of sporting events, matches would uh, happen in a particular week. Now, I have no interest in that myself whatsoever. I love sports. I love exercise. I love skiing in the gym. But I don't care for watching, um, you know, those traditional boys Lloyd's sports. Um, but I used to um, inform myself because it used to form the basis of all of the small talk. And so when I turned up to that interview, I made some comment about rugby. And um, my colleague, we still work together. She's great. She said, oh, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, I don't <laughs> care about rugby at all. And that was such a small moment, but it was really defining for me because not only was that what she thought, but she also felt comfortable saying it. And I thought, huh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is my place. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> wow, that is, do you know, it's such a small thing, but it does make a difference. And I can, I can certainly relate to moments like this where you, I, I, for me, it was a very vivid moment when I sat with two very senior women, which again, coming from broking was a very rare experience for me. And, um, unfortunately, a male, um, come to, part in a room made a uh, quite a rude comment towards me now he thought he was joking but it was actually it made me extremely uncomfortable and um I didn't react because I've never seen anyone react and the only time I did see someone react it will be turned against you and it'll be a joke and then these two women I mean they went in (laughs) they told him what he wasn't supposed to why this wasn't okay you know like the whole thing and I was just sitting there going like oh hang on so you can speak up that's okay So I can completely understand where you're kind of sitting there going, oh, okay, no, hang on. This is, there are, there is another way of dealing. And, and a a full disclaimer, I think you've mentioned that before is it's not like that all the time, right? This is, we're talking about specific events. We're talking about good 10, 15 years for me ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, things have significantly changed. Um, and I always feel very inspired when I speak to especially young women in the market and they're like, yeah, I spoke about that. I don't accept that. I don't do this. I'm like, Good. Okay. <laughs> Things are changing. Um, this is, this is a really good point around the sort of interviewing and listening out for things that work for you, isn't it? Not mm-hmm. necessarily, um, for the company, which it's a, it's a big mindset shift. I mean, as a consultant, right? You are pretty much a brand new person. Well, every week, I think, I think when we were preparing for this, I said to you, oh, probably every month or two months, you're like, mm, actually once a week now that I think about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're an employee, you join a company, uh, you have that first maybe two, three weeks where you kind of, you know, grab coffees, introduce yourself to people. And over time you establish who you are, <clears throat> what you do, um, and people get to know you. And, and that's it. You, you no longer the new person. Mm-hmm. It's very scary the first two, three weeks, but then you get over it. As a consultant, you're constantly in that mode. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you turn up and how do you remain, you know, confident? How do you establish yourself in that room every week? <laughs> yeah, really good question. And I thought just in case there's some listeners who are not that familiar with some of the, um, kind of themes we've touched on or or, or concepts. So first of all, we talk about the big four, right? So they are actually just the um, four largest kind of accounting and and professional services firms. Um, So of which EY is is one of them. Um, And maybe just a little bit about what what do we actually do as consultants? And as part of that, we've got the the topic around (laughs) meeting lots of new people. Um, So obviously, so I'm an insurance, um, a specialty insurance operations consultant. Um, And basically what, yeah, what does that mean? So I primarily work with Lloyd syndicates, um, specialty insurers, but obviously it's, it's much broader than that um, in terms of what we do as EY. Um, and what I focus on is kind of target operating model design. So that is looking at the way a firm operates across their people, technology, data and process. Um, obviously how a firm works with Lloyd's and that's kind of the data connections and, you know, all of the other ways in which the market is, is connected. Um, obviously there's quite a lot of challenges, particularly when it comes to data. Um, and you know, that's something where we really 
try and solve some some challenges, but it's also around, for example, how to improve underwriting, how to make things more inside-driven, leveraging new technologies, whether that's AI, generative AI, and, you know, kind of, yeah, making insurance a really modern marketplace that better serves the people, um, you know, because pricing is better, claim service is better. And there's obviously lots and lots of kind of problem touch points that we work with. Sometimes it's also about, of course, um, companies need to, you know, cut costs, Often it's because they need to, you know, reinvest and they want to do things um, better. <laughs> um, and that's kind of where we come in. So it's a real, real range of, of projects um, that we get asked to do. And yeah, absolutely. So how do we meet people? Well, we meet people because obviously networking is, is really important. Um, we meet people through, so often what happens is um, if a company has a particular challenge they want to solve and they are looking for consultants to do it, um, they issue an RFP. That's a request um, for proposal. And then different firms can respond to it with a kind of an outline of how they think they can help them solve the problem, the kind of people they would bring to the table, and of course, what that would cost. Um, and then what often happens is that you get invited to um, a pitch that can be quite formal, can be a proper presentation and a Q&A, or it can be more of an informal conversation. Um, but also, you know, we're often out in the market attending events, uh, just meeting people for coffee, you know, exchanging views on, you know, some of the industry hot topics, giving a view, understanding what other people um, think, what those problems are so we can stay you know, really relevant um, and, and ultimately, yeah, try and improve, improve the London market. Um, and yeah, to come back to your question, those yeah, moments of meeting new people absolutely happen all the time. And for me, that's often stepping into a room where maybe I'm the only woman. That makes things a little bit harder, a little bit more different. Um, sometimes what used to be that I was maybe also the most junior person and sometimes also the only person not from the UK. Yeah. Um, now, all of those things can kind of work against you. And I'm really conscious of that now when I take in a team. It's like, you know, everyone brings different things to the table and everyone comes with their own little challenges. And for example, accents, I think, are a big topic. You know, some of my colleagues feel really self-conscious about their accent. And something someone said to me, which really stuck with me, which was everyone has an accent. Some are more common than others, but fundamentally everyone does. And you should ask so yourself, true. do people understand what you're saying? And if the answer is yes, then, you know, you can basically move on. And so I try to remind myself of that now when I go somewhere. It's like, do people generally understand what I'm saying? Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> do you know what? Can I just pause on that? Because that is, I, I, I wish someone said that to me a long time ago. Because <laughs> uh, I used to have a big, big problem with that. And I used to, yeah. I, I, so these days I actually... Whenever I present or whenever I meet a new group of people, within the first two sentences, I'll be like, yes, and you'll hear my accent. Because because my accent is not maybe obvious Polish, but there's, as I've been told, I'm quoting other people, something different or wrong with my accent. <laughs> wrong is never, yeah. Anyway, so I actually put it out there and I go, I know you hear something about my accent. So I'm Polish and my accent is just confused, right? So it has all sorts of different accents within it. So I just put it to bed straight away mm -hmm. because then people don't sit there. Literally, I've had people sitting in a meetings and all they've been thinking, they've completely blanked what I've been saying. They're just thinking where I'm from. Um, but that only came a few years ago. 
because to your point exactly for years i'll be very afraid of kind of how i've come across if i so powerful can people understand you and everyone especially in the uk right or, or people speaking english right yeah. in america uk anywhere like everyone has an accent yeah. i love that yeah okay anyone out there with an accent which is pretty much everyone listening we all have an accent let's yeah. just move on <laughs> And uh, just to add a funny anecdote to that, um, the, the underwriter I worked with most closely when I started my career, um, a really fantastic, lovely guy um, from Glasgow, and he often made me wonder whether something is insurance terminology and an acronym that I hadn't come across or his accent. And there's only so many times, you know, you can ask like, sorry, what? Can you repeat that again? <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't have to be us from, you know, being from different countries um, to have That's a bit true. of an accent challenge. I'm definitely, I'm definitely loving that. That is very true. But okay. So, so, you know, you talk to me, what, what do you do? You walk into that room, you let's, let's say that you are actually the only female yep. in that room and you conscious, you potentially maybe the only person that's, uh, you know, English is the second language. How do you break that? Like, how do mm -hmm. you, you know, how do you enter that room yeah. um, and, and establish yourself? Yeah. So I think first of all, um, it has taken some time. You know, if you'd asked me this um, a few years ago, my response would be different. Now I feel um, kind of at peace or, at, you know, at ease with it. But I think that's come through practice and, you know, many experiences where I was heard. You know, so I try to remind myself sometimes of those positive experiences before I go into a room. It's like, well, my track record suggests that I will be fine. So that's very helpful. Um, it's also, I think there's some getting the basics right. So... You know, you stand, stand up straight, firm handshake, look someone in the eye, wear something you feel professional and comfortable in. I think particularly, you know, for women, as unfortunately, it matters a little bit more how we professionally present ourselves visually. Um, you know, do it in a way that gets you in the right headspace that makes you feel comfortable. Um, then now I think, well, people obviously buy the brand that sits behind me, but also, you know, a client has to work with me every day. So I try and go in and think, you know, I will present myself as my genuine, professional, authentic self. And if that doesn't work for them, then we're probably not going to work together that well. And they won't get out of it what they want and I won't either. So it's, it's totally okay to be, you know, genuine from the get go, because fundamentally I want success for my client. And part of that success will absolutely rely on how well, you know, her and I, him and I work together on a project. So I try to remember that. <laughs> I, I, I have to, so I have to jump in because again, yeah. a massive, a massive mindset shift, right? Mm -hmm. You, the amount of times, and again, it's, it's a valid point. One, number one is you, you grow over time, right? And you, you are much smarter. It's same. If you were, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, very different conversation, right? Um, but the, the thing is you come in and if you don't show up how you are and the way you work right now, it will come out, right? Because you, no matter how much you want to pretend and do things, it will come out, especially at the time of pressure. Um, so yeah, if it's not working, but what happens if it's not working then? Do you, do you look for, you know, do you find a ways? Cause, cause I find that 99% of time you can find a way to communicate with someone. You just yeah. have to find the angle because at the end of the day, 
my theory is I'm not looking for friends. I'm looking to get on to deliver work, right? And mm-hmm. and if we become friends, great. But if we don't, the goal is to deliver a good job. Yeah. So I always think at work you can actually find a way, um, but you have to be flexible. So Completely. yeah, what what do you do in those situations? Which I know I'm are rare because I know you very well, uh, not very well, <laughs> but I know you well enough to know that are rare. But if if they are, what happens? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you're right in that flex is really important. I think it's one of the big skills you need as a consultant is an ability to to flex um, your style, the way you work with people, the way you respond to them. And it often comes down to building bridges very quickly, right? And the way I do it, you know, we talked about the, the small talk, the rugby and the football. Um, I try to present people with some hooks, for example, around small talk, you know, what are the topics that I'm passionate about that I can sort of shine, you know, where I'm, I'm speaking with some, you know, genuine passion. And, you know, I talk about travel holidays, um, you know, my family or depending on the audience, you know, D and I am really passionate about those things, market culture, how it's changed. Um, you know, I don't know, Lloyd's transformation, like all sorts. And so I think it's very much around reading that person quickly. Um, whether that is through some research you've done before, you know, often some of your colleagues may have already met with that person. You can usually find out quite a lot. Um, have they, you know, done some public speaking? Can you find them on YouTube? Um, you know, ask your network. You can obviously over-engineer this, but, you know, it's, it's usually quite helpful to, to find those connectors and to also offer some yourself and see what that person jumps on. Do you know, um, this is, this is a good tip. Sorry, I was just going, cause this is a good tip, even if you're interviewing, right? It's not for your day to day, but actually, if you know who you're going to interview with, I mean, in today's world, they are 99% of chance. They are someone on Google, right? Like, so yeah, I mean, what a difference you will make when you turn up because you already know some stuff about them. Yeah. Obviously not in a stalking way. So be careful how much you dig, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's a good icebreaker. Yeah. Basically, right? Yeah. yeah. And then I think there's also remembering, you know, coming back to what if you don't 100% gel with someone? A, as you say, it's actually about a business problem, usually a business challenge or something you're trying to improve. But also it's almost never just you, right? So I always come in with a team. What I sell is hardly ever myself, but it's, you know, a team, a network, a, a sort of cross section of styles, personalities and professional expertise. And so I think as long as I can understand what the other person's looking for, and the way they work, I will be able to connect them with, you know, people with the right expertise internally um, and people who might, you know, be a really good fit style-wise or who just compliment me. You know, I'm never just going to be a total misfit with someone, but there might just be, you know, some elements where I think, okay, this isn't my strength, but hey, I know someone whose strength it is and I'm going to bring them into this conversation and together we'll be able to tackle this um, because, you know, all of what we do is fundamentally a, a team effort. It's clearly not just about me. This collaborative style is so powerful. And, um, you know, I, I've had a manager who always was very proud and key to say, these are the things that I'm missing. These are not my areas of expertise 
but my team is built in a way that there are people that have that expertise. And it's like knowing where your gaps are, but not Mm -hmm. gaps. I mean, now I think we don't call them weaknesses. I think we call them like not areas of areas for development, but but you can't be everything, right? I think it's the biggest flaw that we all make that we try to be hundred percent in everything. Mm -hmm. So it's identifying what you're good at, who you gel with, what's your style. If you don't have that, find people around you that can fill those gaps. It's, it's a powerful thing to do because that's you saying, I'm not perfect and that's okay. That's what makes me perfect. If that makes sense. It's better than to not be aware, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, awareness is the hardest part, right? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's be honest and about also, that. I think it brings people up because of course, um, consulting tends to be relatively hierarchical, you know, because people want to move up to partner. Um, however, you know, as a team, you're still solving a problem and, you know, to, I'm very open with my teams about this. And I think that's sometimes quite surprising to people, but I say, you know, let's talk about what we want to get out of a project. Um, what you think you're really good at and that's you know I encourage that no shame um and also you know where you need other people to compliment you and I'm I will be very open about what that is for me and I say look because we're solving this together I'm relying on you and I think that brings people up to the same level so it automatically smashes through the sort of hierarchical layers and people's reluctance because they know they're important and they're there for a reason and they truly are you know if they didn't have something really good to say they wouldn't be in the room. And I think that's also something really important to remember, looping back to your original question. Sometimes, you know, that classic imposter sort of, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to be here. Well, you know what? The partner wouldn't have taken me along to the pitch if I didn't have the relevant experience, if I wasn't the right person to be in this room. The client wouldn't be talking to me if it wasn't for that. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, right? It's like, this is what I am bringing to the table. (laughs) <laughs> oh the amount of times I was sitting there in the room going remember you got invited you have a voice <laughs> and and it's you you literally have to switch your brain to think that way mm-hmm. right because it's just wired on a on yeah. a different different level and it I mean so sorry sorry it, mm-hmm. it compensates to an extent for representation that should be there right Mm. Um, because I think if we walked into rooms more and there would be more people like us um, so by that, I mean, you know, relatively young women. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, let's go with that. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would be it would be a lot easier. And actually, mm. you know, um, as EY, we're actually going through a really exciting time right now because um, we have the very first female global chief executive coming into office in July next year. And that's Janet Troncali. And, and I think she's been with UI for 30 years. Um, I don't know personally, but from what I have read, I've done my research, um, you know, she actually has three kids. She um, leads our America's business and she said some really um, interesting and reassuring things about kind of balancing career and and family life and even though she's you know many layers and geographies removed from my own role at EY just knowing she's out there actually makes a really big difference to me it's a it's a big change for financial services in general um but also you know for, for us on the ground just knowing you can make it and there is a role model it's just ever so important. And interestingly, um, cause I think it, that's often discussed. I think she has said something along the lines of, Oh, you know, I don't really want to have this, this 
branding of first woman to do X. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, because that's, it doesn't obviously diminish anything at all. It's incredible. But fundamentally, when something is about your professional achievement, which is incredible, you know, she's incredibly senior in our organization. Um, it, it feels strange to bring that, you know, back to gender. But people yeah. around her, I think, have said, you know, but it is a real opportunity and people need to hear it more. And it makes a real difference to people day to day. And from what I can read, I think that has kind of changed the way she thinks about it. Um, and it mm. certainly changed the way I think about it because I'm the most senior woman in our team at the moment. And sometimes I don't really like that as part of my brand. It's like, well, what's, what's anything got to do with my gender? But then I come back to know actually it is important because we all need to see people around us, you know, who make it possible to imagine yourself in a certain position. It, it's, it's such a, I mean, first of all, yes, very, very exciting to have an EY. And, and it's funny you say that gender thing because I read quite a few articles and it doesn't, I wouldn't say it hones in on the gender, mm -hmm. but it was actually interesting reading those articles because I thought they would have a bit more on it. And it wasn't, it was all about her career yeah. achievements, which actually, um, one thing I'm learning through doing this podcast is as soon as you put the gender, the focus, it kind of loses the impact. Um, and whereas if you focus on the professional, on a topic, on things, then, then it gets more traction. Um, however, to your point exactly is, you know, there is still a statistics that I think it's up to 60% of women age of 35 to 45 leave the insurance industry because they just fed up with being, mm -hmm. having to fight and being misunderstood. And, um, you know, I've just recorded a podcast last week with Hannah Pring and, and we were talking about that, that, you know, there's this fatigue of having to explain yourself. Um, but there's also a lot of women that just, can't be bothered to stay because they just don't want to be that token. They don't want to fight through mm -hmm. this. So they move on. Right. Um, but actually more women remain and maybe it's not about like, yes, I'm the first female and that's the only thing that's good about me because mm -hmm. that's obviously not the case here, but still remembering that you are a mentor, which, or, or maybe not a mentor, but a role yeah. model, um, but just not just, but by being there. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a lot to carry, right? But mm -hmm. um, you make a choice how much of that you take on, um, because you you know you being the 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 senior the most senior woman in a in your team at the moment, you can acknowledge that, and that's by being there you're already ticking quite a lot of boxes, but you can also then take it further if you choose to. So it's everyone's everyone's private journey, but one thing is certain from all conversation up to up to now that role model is really hard. And unless more females remain in a business, it's hard to continue that role model. Mm -hmm. But it, on that culture piece and that, you know, you, you've, you've seen a lot, you see a lot of businesses as well. I think that's a big advantage Absolutely. as a consultant, right? Mm -hmm. You get to see a lot yeah. <laughs> and, and you get to see a lot of cultures mm -hmm. and a lot of behind the scenes, mm -hmm. um, which not many people get to see. What do you think based on your experience career wise, based on your professional experience, um, what companies can consider better when it comes to 
creating inclusive cultures. Mm. So I think there's obviously a big spectrum of cultures. So, you know, EY is over 400,000 people, about 17,000 in the UK. You know, we've got a really strong DEI strategy. Um, you know, we've got all of the networks. So there's a big, big kind of formal um, wrapper around diversity and inclusion, which I think, you know, it's very much top of the agenda. So I think that's really important. That's obviously a little bit easier maybe for a firm that, you know, has its own diversity and inclusion team. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a, there's a sort of a big wraparound, which I think is, is recognizing that it is formally that it is important, important to your employees, but also important to your success, right? Diverse teams will be the more successful teams and will, you know, have better results. That is proven as fact. Um, so I think it's kind of having that as a wraparound understanding. But then I think what I've seen matter personally and to other people is kind of moments of the moments of truth and having, you know, the right response to those. So I think it's about also, of course, having the role models and exposing people to role models. So if your team doesn't have very many um, senior women, make sure that the more junior women have a female mentor, help them connect to those. You know, you might think you, I mean, maybe men in the industry might think, oh, everyone is really well connected. Well, you're not at the start of your career. So help make connections. By the way, this is my also my top tip. Um, when you meet someone, ask them to introduce you to one more person. Say, who Brilliant. else do you think I should meet? Can you make an introduction? And it's a very small ask for someone. They will almost guaranteed do it. And you just keep that going and you'll meet a lot of really great people. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. wow. What a tip for kind of, you side, know, to pick that. So yes. there's, yeah, there's this role model and creating kind of coaching and, and mentoring opportunities. There is, um, I think, a big responsibility on men. Right. We talk about, um, the difference, you know, women can make these kind of conversations. Um, this podcast, your presence, which is incredible, you know, on LinkedIn makes a huge difference. I know. Um, but I think it also very much takes men to do, to do their bit. Um, for example, if they witness behavior in a meeting or common that is being made, uh, which is not okay. I always think it's not even so much about educating the person who's made a disrespectful, racist, homophobic, whatever comment. It's showing to the other people in the room who might be, you know, female, more junior, um, you know, somehow part of a minority that other people might not even realize. It matters that you stand up, you know, to role model the right thing to them. Um, so I think it takes men to do more. Um, I think it, yeah. it takes a culture where people are somewhat driven to educate themselves. So I think you can't just sit there and hope that all the minorities um, come to you and, you know, educate you about what's wrong with the world and how to fix it. It is, you know, you pick up the book, <laughs> you educate yes. yourself. And mm. if you're lucky, maybe get, you know, maybe, maybe ask a question and somebody will invest their time and, you know, it's, it's an emotional investment to share about yourself. Mm. And so I think you can't go in with an expectation that um, your inclusive culture relies on the women or whatever minority, obviously women aren't, <laughs> um, to, to kind of drive it. So it needs the big statements from the top. It needs the right response in a moment of truth. Um, and I think it needs some really tangible points of support 
um, to, you know, support women um, throughout their career. And that's also, you know, we, we face some more challenging situations like going on maternity leave, you know, returning, and also so many invisible things, you know, people struggling with fertility and, and what that means. And, you know, making it easy for people to yeah, have a career while life happens, because we all know it does. Yeah. And recognizing that and being supportive around that day to day is really important. And not just the women who know what it's like, um, but the men who make a real effort to understand um, and make a difference. So that's a very, it is about collaborating and, and coming together, isn't it? And it's not you and us. It's kind of, we all, we all here together. So let's, let's make it work both ways, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's very, very good point. Right. So close the podcast because there's so many things to take away. I actually, so what I can do whilst we record is I can like mark the, um, I don't know, the things that I would, you know, pick up on, make notes of, or, or do shorts of the video. And I'm on 37, right? During this podcast, <laughs> marked moments. So, um, so many great tips, uh, given away. But if, if you were to sort of reflect in on your career and in insurance, if you were to pick one thing, if you can, uh, you know, what have you experienced, uh, thanks to being in insurance that you think you wouldn't have otherwise? Um, I think it's that true collaboration. So, for example, the program that we worked on, which was fundamentally dealing with the pain of Brexit, um, you know, and somehow, I mean, fundamentally making sure that everyone, um, you know, would maintain their cover or, you know, would be able to have their claims paid um, going forward. So, very worthy cause, but very, very complicated. I'm not going to get into that. Um, we did that <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> And a kind of true collaboration across actually the entire market, you know, 55 managing agents, Lloyd's as a corporation, you know, EY as a consulting firm. Actually, there were some other consulting firms involved as well. Um, you know, lots of contractors. And I think we all try to make a difference for that kind of very good overall purpose in a situation that was incredibly challenging, um, you know, and quite sometimes quite demotivating because, you know, I was quite frustrated by yes. Brexit and that, that's what triggered it all. Um, and working with people from all of the different countries, you know, Lloyd's Europe, um, new, newly established in Brussels and, I think doing what, um, what I love about consulting and about insurance is there's so much opportunity to make things better, make things more modern and make things work better. And you have, you know, a whole host of people who have that passion, you know, incredible expertise, um, you know, and truly doing that with, yeah, with people from many different countries, cultures, companies, um, and trying to solve, yeah, what's such a challenging problem. I felt very, very privileged to be part of that. I think it's, it's incredibly fun. It's rewarding. Uh, and I know that's not entirely unique to insurance. Um, but I think as, as an industry, there is just so much more to go after. And I think that's a great opportunity, which I think coming back to the purpose of this podcast should make people choose a career in insurance. 
what a beautiful way to bring it together. But I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't. I always say that all the people that we work for on on Brexit program, there's a special bond there because yeah, there were good times, there were tough times, but we all made it through and we all persevered, you know, forward. So very, very true. That human connection is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. In in the insurance industry. Thank you so much. It's been absolute pleasure recording with you and, and speaking to you. Um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners will learn a lot as well. It's one of those that you may have to listen to a few times, um, to just get all those, get all those tips. Um, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, look forward to following your career and, um, seeing where, where it goes next. Great. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Help me to share these stories with as many people as possible by rating the podcast and sharing episodes on your social media platforms. Remember, this is a podcast for you, so your opinion matters to me. If you have any recommendations on comments, please get in touch. Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media at 100 Women in Insurance to find out about the upcoming releases, guest spotlights and top career tips. See you in the next episode.